0: Welcome to this week's version of the Guardian podcast with Ren Melberg. I'm your host, Harold Nickel, and even though this podcast has only been on for a couple of months, it's enjoying a great deal of popularity. We know it's popular because we get information about downloads and people who subscribe, and it's probably because the field of Agile and the scaled Agile framework are very popular, receive a lot of notice in the... uh, Media and online. And so, since we add so many listeners and people are curious about the topic, Ren thought that it was high time that we discussed what is this agile thing. So, Ren, tell us what we want and need to know. What is this agile thing?
1: Agile has become an umbrella term for a group of values, processes, and practices. And kind of the easiest way for most people to think about it is Agile has three categories, Mm -hmm. all of which are governed by the Agile Manifesto. And the three categories are Scrum, Lean, and Safe or Scaled Agile Framework. Um, Each of those support and build on one another. Each of them use a lot of the same processes and uh, defined best practices, mm-hmm. um, and so are very similar. They just sort of operate a little differently.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Scrum, for the most part, is at the team level, so it's all about how the teams work together.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Scrum does have some what we call Scrum of Scrum practices, um, which is where how a group of teams work together, a team of teams, mm-hmm. if you will. Lean talks a lot about things that we've talked about here, like the minimum viable product, um, really shortening and tightening the learning curve. That really comes from Lean.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And Safe uses um, all of these plus some additional um, attributes and best practices to create an enterprise or a scaled agile offering. Right. But all of them are under the umbrella. Of agile,
0: and it sounds like agile. And correct me if I'm wrong. Like it grew out of other project management methods. Is that true?
1: Um, For the most part, it kind of came out of this environment where there was a lot of work looking at SDLCs, which is software development life cycles. Mm -hmm. Um, So, a kind of a methodology very specific to how we're building software,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, which does obviously fall underneath the umbrella of project management. And um, the gentleman who came up with Agile and originally the Agile Manifesto, or eventually the Agile Manifesto, um, we're looking at how we're building software and did some research and found out that the person created or credited with PMP, the most frequent form of waterfall used,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, actually proposed it as a what not to do. Huh? He found out <laughs> that it was not a best practice. It, and, but engineers liked it so much that they glommed onto it and we've been using it ever since.
2: Man. And
1: so the men who are looking at this went there's got to be a different way Because all we've been doing with Method 1 and RUP and all this stuff is um, building on or modifying PMP. Mm -hmm. We're actually not doing anything differently. And so we're getting all the same problems.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And they stumbled on research about the learning curve and how human beings can learn more by tightening the learning curve, and it actually came out of a lot of education studies that was being done at the University of Minnesota and a couple of the universities in California huh. for public schools. So how do we teach kids better, which the University of Minnesota is notorious for, right? They, right. like crazy people, <laughs> they are constantly <laughs> studying how human beings learn and how we can teach people better.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And what they found is what I often refer to as tell, show, do. You tell someone how to do it, you show them how to do it, you have them do it. Mm -hmm. And the shorter that cycle is, the more they learn. Not just that particular subject, but they can then um, absorb it quickly and move on and learn another new thing. Wow. And And these guys kind of went, holy cow, that's what we need to do with software. Right? Right. And so they took all their experience, (laughs) all these different experiences and what, what's our learning curve. And we've talked about this before in another podcast. And that little tight learning curve, right?
2: Right. That
1: we um, have a hypothesis, we build it, we test it, we get feedback. And we you know, adjust our hypothesis. We change our build. We test it. We get feedback. You know, that is our learning curve in as in software development. Right. And that is really where everything from agile came from.
0: It's it's so uh, interesting that there are probably hundreds, if not thousands, of other places in industry and education where this might be useful, um, but. We'll have to deal with those another day and (laughs) (laughs) stick with the conversation about Agile. And you had mentioned that the people who were working on this were um, involved in software. Mm -hmm. And um, I think I've read that Agile is used most often for software development. So what if I'm interested in Agile, but I'm, I'm not a software person?
1: Well, it actually didn't stay very long in pure software.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the applications for Agile moved very quickly into financial services.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and if you think of mo- many of the, the men who developed Agile were at IBM, IBM's biggest clients are financial services, you know, mm-hmm. so there was a relationship there. And in financial services, they don't sell software. No. But every single thing they do is software. And most of the money that exists in the world is actually ones and zeros in software somewhere. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It's not, you know, paper currency (laughs) is kind of cute. because (laughs) It represents a tiny amount of the actual monetary value of the world. Um, Most of it is ones and zeros. Yeah. And so the financial industry, services industry, actually were the first ones to think of it not in terms of delivering pure software, mm-hmm. but in terms of, you know, so software is the product, but they were thinking of it in terms of a product that's enabled by software.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that was part of the, the initial shift. So we're building this software so we can sell this better product. hmm So we can sell more mutual funds. So we can help you manage your IRA better. So we can help you manage your bank account better. Which is online banking, by the way, was one of the biggest pushes of Agile and going to Agile for um, software that enabled products. Right. Now we've come to a point, especially with enterprise or scaled. Agile framework and not thinking of it really at all in terms of pure software. What we're doing with Agile is product management and development. And when we talk about innovation, we're talking about product innovation, okay. not just pure software innovation. So it's really a pretty natural And um, evolution that's happened over almost 20 years.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a a reasonable, as you say, evolution from pure software to different types of product offerings that come out of the information economy. Mm -hmm. So let me just play devil's advocate and ask, what was wrong with traditional approaches to project management?
1: Because it's all about a long runway. So mm-hmm. each phase, which is done independently, each one has a long runway until it's completed, until it's validated. Mm-hmm. And the longer the runway, the greater the risk, and the lower the predictability.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And a lot of times what we found is the risk would become exponential. Because if it wasn't caught in the first phase, gathering requirements, then it, at the end of that first phase, then it would be moved into the next phase, design. Mm-hmm. Well, if it's not caught at the end of design, which often it isn't still,
2: mm-hmm. it
1: moves into build. And oftentimes what we found is risk wasn't identified and, and resolved until we were in test. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it's not manageable anymore. It's this huge thing. And I'll, I'll, there's a lot of people listening right now who just got hives, right? Because <laughs> they've lived this. They know. We were doing, we were just clicking along. We thought we were on the right track. We we're doing a great job. Everybody's excited. We're green, 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 green. We get into UAT, user acceptance testing, and boom, defects everywhere. Everywhere, or mm-hmm. we get to integration testing and defects everywhere, and all of a sudden we 're red, and we're running around like crazy people trying to explain to leadership how we were green for so long, and now we're flaming red oh jeez and it was because it in its nature, traditional project management has these really really long runways um, that just add on uh, risk and kill predictability. The other thing is, I, the first thing I mentioned was UAT.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I have yet to be on a traditional project or program where we didn't get to UAT, which is the first time you have um, customer feedback. Right. So you've already been working on this project probably for a year, if not longer. And you find out your users hate something. And it's pretty pretty significant one to hate yeah you've just spent millions of dollars to find out that you have a significant failure point in your product
0: that's that's bad <laughs> it's
1: really bad and usually what happens is no one wants to admit it uh. because the cost to admitting a failure at that point is so high because you've got, got all these sunk costs right Mm -hmm. then you have to go back to your leadership and you have to ask them for more money to fix it. Mm -hmm. And what happens, and we've all been the consumer ends of this too, they release it anyway. No one tells anyone that you've got this huge failure point. Yeah.
0: And just an analogy that I can wrap my brain around is – if you were trying to bake chocolate chip cookies and grabbed a handful of raisins instead your, your flaw is literally baked in Mm -hmm. to your cookies and people wanted chocolate chip cookies and you're offering them cookies with raisins in them. That's like, you've got to start over. And so what I think I'm hearing you say is that, sorry, when you get to the end of this long runway and you've got defects baked in, you have to start over.
1: Or not, not necessarily all the way over, but depending on, I guess it depends on how significant it is. So right. in your example, that's pretty darn significant. So yeah, you're probably going to be <laughs> over.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Um,
1: just like if you ask the classic one and you grab the salt instead of the sugar. Right. Um, most of the time, what we find is, um, especially when it comes to customer feedback at that point, Um, It's not irreversible, so you can fix these. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, But the organizational cost of admitting the mistake is too high for the individuals involved. Um, So we call that a (laughs) career-limiting opportunity. So most of these organizations, you go to the CEO and you say, yeah, I know we just spent $2 million on this product, product. But the customers hate X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. There is more often than not in most companies that project manager doesn't have a job the next day. Yeah, And it's not their fault. They didn't do anything wrong. They followed the process.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's the process that was flawed. Man. Um, and this is one of the reasons why... You know so many organizations and as fast as um, most Western companies can and industries can are going to add on away from traditional project management.:
0: Yeah, it's, it's easier and less expensive to fix something within a couple of weeks than to get to the very end. And it's funny too, and it's because smaller
1: when you can do it sooner. Right. So right. in that example I gave, remember, if you find it in the business requirements, it doesn't go on to build, design and build and test, right? right? So it's much smaller and easier to, to rectify. Um, that's what we do in Agile is we take risk and we drive it down to its smallest component.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's uh, incredibly sensible. And I remember that I had worked on a Six Sigma team once upon a time and it was for a communications project and it turned out in the learning that I think everybody on that team walked away with was that Six Sigma was really good for eliminating defects in manufactured products but not really all that helpful with things that were designed to communicate. Are we going to be saying something like that, something similar in the years to come about Agile?
1: I think it's less likely, and the reason why I say that is because agile practitioners like me are very science driven. Mm -hmm. And as we've been going and like I've been pushing the envelope and how we define the products that we use this for, I push the envelope. Um, Even the considerations, because I can't tell you how long I've been told you can't do this for projects or products that have regulatory and uh, compliance concerns. And I've proven them wrong. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely you can. But we've done this because we apply our learning cycle to Mm -hmm. every new area that we take Agile in. So we, again, have our hypothesis. We build it. We test it. We adapt and learn. And we've done this, the industry has done this, for instance, in marketing. Mm-hmm. And we've found out that agile marketing is incredibly successful, and it is very quickly over the last literally two years, um, moved to being taught in colleges and universities, part of the regular marketing and sales curriculum. But that's because we' we've we've applied our own agile values and practices to how we're continuing to evolve and um, and, and move Agile forward. Yeah. And it's the same thing with manufacturing. So the Scaled Agile Institute has been um, studying this for years now and is working on a manufacturing um, version of Agile and SAFE.
2: Uh-huh.
1: But they're being very Agile and very scientific in how that is being um, modified and how they're approaching that. So working very closely um, with a well-respected manufacturer to say, well, here's our hypothesis, let's test it, and have a really tight learning loop.
0: That sounds sensible. And I guess, though, staying with kind of this devil's advocate line of questions, I'm wondering about action and a bias for action using Agile. Is there one or are the people on the Agile team frozen in place just analyzing different kinds of data?
1: We absolutely have a bias for action. And one of our principles is that we um, test instead of analyzing things to death. Uh Um, That's something I work with my clients on all the time. It's very hard for people. Especially in, as you know, I've done a lot of work in manufacturing, uh, financial services, and healthcare. Those are very analytical, engineering driven in- industries. It's hard to break them out of that cycle mm-hmm. and say, guys, you can sit in a room spending, you know, $10,000 an hour. I actually calculated the hourly rate in one meeting once mm. and said, so you were spending $10,000 an hour asking yourself all these questions and trying to come up with answers to these questions that you're never really going to know the answer to until you stand up an agile team and you get them to work in solving the problem. Mm -hmm. And you have real science and data and results to answer your questions. All you're doing right now, all this analyzing, it's really just speculating. Uh So let's do... What will get us the answers the quickest and get us the best answers? Because we can do all kinds right on the walls and we can do all kinds of work like that, right? Yep. And, but again, until we actually do the work and run the tests, it's all speculation. Okay. So let's just start with the work and the tests.
0: Again, it makes abundant good sense. So what's the inspect and adapt approach? from agile
1: that's taking it on to the next level right we're taking the learning cycle out of the pure development and product construction world and applying it to how we work with each other and how the teams work but it's the same idea that at the end of an increment we stop and we learn from our own performance Um, we try in SAFE, and in SAFE does, is, much, this is much more institutionalized um, in the SAFE model because you're actually trying to learn not just from your own performance but the performance of other teams around you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And this is something that I do a lot with my clients is let's find the common themes. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got to, we as leaders have to be listening for themes. We're listening for the themes of the systemic barriers to success, so we as leaders can remove them because that's our job is to remove the barriers so the teams can be successful. We also want to hear the themes of success. Mm-hmm. What are they doing? What is Team A doing that Team F can learn from and in, in vice versa? So that, that whole inspect and adapt cycle is about the learning Cycle, but on a team level or even an organizational Mm. level.
0: So, how long would it take me or a company to move from, say, traditional project management to an agile style? Is there like a big learning curve that everybody involved would need to get over? And along those same lines, what would you say is the best, the fastest? or most sensible way to move from the traditional project to Agile?
1: As a a rule, there's three models um, for implementing Agile. Um, There's the bottoms-up, which is you start with the team level or the scrum level, if you like to say. And then um, scale up as you have more and more teams and you scale up to uh, the portfolio level or sorry the program level and then the portfolio level which is the safe model um, there is another model that's the top down so the entire organization goes to agile all at once
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's very leader driven and um, you uh, that is one of the more common methods for implementing safe mm-hmm. What I've done the most with my clients is what I call the MVP approach, the Minimum Viable Product approach. Mm -hmm. and We take one business initiative or one product and we apply SAFE to that entire group, that one sector and we actually are applying our learning curve to that. So we do that so that we can identify at the lowest risk to the organization and or least amount of disruption and cost to the organization the systemic barriers to Agile being successful. Uh-huh. And we can remove those before we roll Agile out to the rest of the organization. Um, each one of these has very different time frames. So uh-huh. bottoms up is usually three to five years, top down Um, initially is, um, there's a very large disruption in the beginning. You have to train everybody in the organization. And I mean, there's a large lead time. Uh Um, that lead time is usually two to three months. Um, and then you have everybody going agile fairly quickly. Um, but the road to productivity is probably another nine months or so after that. Uh, the MVP model, um, I've been able to show value to my clients usually in, in well, I've gotten it down to about three months now. Uh, wow. I was running on part six months, um, you know, pretty consistently, very defined business value after six months. Um, my current client, it's three months.
0: Yeah, from full stop to introducing something in three months is is. M- And
1: And I do want to say, so you also asked what's the toughest, right? The cultural shift for an organization Mm. is usually the toughest. We are all fully ingrained in the command and control, you know, milestone and stages and all that stuff, behavior, traditional product, project management. Mm -hmm. Um, To go to something that's... Focused exclusively on business value, and that's the only thing you weigh it on. Right, It's tough. Um, Everything's delivered in two or three week increments is very tough.
0: That is tough. Um,
1: that that's really hard for, it's a, and leadership is very different. You're not dictating. It's not about status reports. It you know those kind of things. It is, and you know, in managing to due dates. Mm-hmm. What you're looking at instead is, what can I, as an executive, do to help the greatest number of teams be the most successful?
0: Instead of writing reports that nobody reads.
1: Right, and yeah. don't really add value. And, you know, it, and it, it really is very different. Is you know, because most people get to the executive layer, myself included. By being very, very good at delivering to specific dates. Yes. Right. And it's hard to shift and think. No, I'm. We don't sell dates. (laughs) We sell products. (laughs) Yeah. And our products have value. And we need to be here about profit. Mm -hmm. That's what's important. That's the real measure of business value. And. I need to be enabling the success of the greatest number of people around me. The more successful they are, the more successful I am.
0: Right. That's such a refreshing way of thinking and approaching leadership in any organization. Mm -hmm. But I'm quite determined to try and get you to think of a place where Agile (laughs) would definitely not work.
1: Um so I mentioned earlier that there's still um thoughts in the Agile community that Agile doesn't work in situations where there's um high regulation or compliance
2: uh-huh.
1: considerations. Um I've disproven that in financial services. I haven't in healthcare yet. Uh-huh. Um determined that I there's still opportunity there. Um so I'll give you some areas of health care. Okay. Um I think from a insurance uh, uh provide you know uh insurance perspective that part of health care Agile I've been very successful with that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: In the provider side, it's been more of a struggle. Mm-hmm. So, you want to see a case study for me anytime soon, <laughs> <laughs> it a successful case at working with the pharmaceutical company, mm. for example. Um, not yet, but I'm going to keep trying. Mm-hmm. Um, some traditional manufacturing, I've mentioned before my work with automotive manufacturers. Um, that has been a significant, huge struggle and we're working, still working on that. Um, the Scaled Agile Institute, I think, is making significant progress with traditional manufacturing. Um, some of the other areas that we haven't even... That, you know, are on the list, but they're kind of down there, like agriculture. Mm-hmm. Um, we know in and, and food service, restaurants, and hospitality in general, are areas that we haven't gone into huh. yet. Um, but no... That there's definite potential, but we had, you know, but no, none of us have had an opportunity to go in and go, okay, McDonald's, mm-hmm. how can we agile your
0: business? <laughs> yeah, but it seems like agile works so well in so many places. But I kind of wanted to go back to the healthcare just in the brief time we have left.
2: Yep.
0: Um, am I hearing correctly that an agile approach to to medicine, pharmaceutical research, that that might give us better medicine sooner.
1: We are trying, and mm-hmm. and we're starting to make some inroads. It's fairly recent as an industry. It really, only um, really started to make inroads with the FDA in the last couple of years, and you know. How, I can't remember the exact saying, but you know, um, a necessity is the mother in- invention. Right. So the necessity that got a lot of people thinking about this um, was actually the need for vaccinations from anthrax and things like that.
2: Mm-hmm. I can um, imagine.
1: Ebola, you know, some of these other very potentially catastrophic diseases to very large. Uh, populations Mm. and it was um, the different uh, uh, pharmaceutical regulatory agencies around the world including our FDA going how the hell do we get um, effective more effective and higher quality medications to people faster right and so that's when we started experimenting, and I'm working very closely with a dear friend of a very large pharmaceutical company oh. on this now, on how we apply Agile principles to help that process. And there are a couple of labs here and there, at the pharmaceutical companies, that are applying Agile principles and practices for this very reason. And we are starting to see um, some results. The mm-hmm. biggest thing is actually an improvement in quality, which reduces um, the uh, unintended side effects. Remember, some drugs have intended side effects. We just, um, chemo drugs, for instance. Sure. There are intended side effects. We can't put that kind of poison in your body without knowing that it's going to poison other things, too. Right? right? So those are just, we know that's going to happen. You can't get rid of it. But there are unintended side effects that um, they're able to drive down and reduce, if not eliminate, by improving uh, the quality of the medicine. Um, and then we're also looking at different ways of testing the medicine so that we can get it to the market faster. But it's a, low, a slow process because we're talking about medicine that goes to people. Right. Uh, and so that's why these this is baby steps.
0: Yeah, and I know that um, you mentioned anthrax, but even here in the last six months, um, Ebola has certainly been in the news. And I know that mm-hmm. um, everybody would benefit from what I think is a, a better path to invention that would come to us via Agile.
1: And one of the things, one of the labs that's, doing agile that's specifically working on by the way is um new antibiotics because we've so severely abused antibiotics in our culture yeah we have as a culture developing antibiotic resistance and so antibiotics are just are working on us as well and we've created these antibiotic resistant bugs and so we're working on them as well and so one of the labs that um I'm watching and working with a friend on is they're they're looking at new antibiotics,
2: mm-hmm.
1: kind of necessary um, and kind of exciting.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it, and um, it's uh, a great way to invent newer, better things faster. So, Ren, before we go, let's uh, let's shift gears and uh, talk about a paper that that you have available on your website for folks to to go and download. What's it about, and who should read it?
1: Sure. It's a overview of the Scaled Agile Framework, or SAFE. Um, anyone, hopefully, will read it. And mm-hmm. its intention and the reason it's written the way it is um, – was to demystify safe. If mm-hmm. you go to and, you know, look at the big picture is what it's called, and that can be pretty intimidating mm-hmm. and overwhelming. Um, so what we wanted to do is um, make it more accessible right. to anyone. Um, so that was the intention. Uh, not to, you know, dummy it down or anything, but this is about, and a lot of what I'm trying to do with my the work with Agile is to make it more accessible. This is a, a practice, and the, the agile industry has been dominated for 20 some years mm-hmm. by engineers
2: right.
1: <laughs> who inherently talk to engineers in, in their own language and not to everyday people. And this is something I really believe that most people in their workplaces could benefit from Agile practices. The only way to do that is to make those practices more accessible. And, you know, that's why you hear me talk about this always in in as common a language as possible. Because that's really important to me.
0: Yeah, God bless the engineers, but sometimes they're not as good as expressing things to uh... Uh, mere mortals, as um, <laughs> as they might be. Yeah, well, and now, I
1: come from a family of engineers, so I'm used to translating. Well,
0: <laughs> myself, my father was an engineer, and um, all name. of my uncles, yeah. and um, yeah, so uh, yeah, I I understand and worked around engineers, so yeah, I I understand. Mm-hmm. Well, next week, Ren's going to talk to us more about agile and safe and other issues from the world of corporate governance in the meantime if you'd like to be in touch with her directly you can just visit her website which is www.renmelburg.com it's that same website you can download the paper she was telling us about we'll be back next week with more with ren the guardian melberg thanks for listening tell your friends and come back